Welcome to the Broadcast Sport podcast. I'm Max Miller, reporter for Broadcast Sport, and today's episode is taken from the Broadcast Sport Leaders Forum, which took place at BFI Southbank on the 1st of November. In this session, presenter Alison Bender speaks to BBC Sport, Channel 4 and Sky Sports about the changing landscape for sport broadcasters in the UK. is all about sports broadcasting in 2022 and beyond and if we could welcome to the stage so we've got three guests for this one ben gallup uh, head of digital and commissioning at bbc sports ben if you sit next to me um, then pete andrews head of sports at channel four and yath ganga kumaran commercial director of sky sports Fantastic. Um, so before we kick off this panel, um, just to remind you to keep those questions coming through Slido, I actually think some of those questions might be relevant to these guys as well, so perhaps we'll get your views on those ones later. Um, you can be anonymous as well in your questions. Um, and each of my guests have provided a short video, so I'll just do a very quick introduction and we can introduce each video, starting with Ben beside me, Ben Gallup, uh, Head of Digital and Commissioning at BBC Sports, um, heading up the F1 when, when BBC had it. Um, and I know that you'll be keen to talk about the success and the growth of women's sport, which has just been absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, sharing the rights for the WSL with Sky and also a very successful women's Euros where England finally brought it home. And you must be so proud of the success of women's sport and what you've done for it. Yeah, I think, I think we're, we're really pleased after an amazing summer. And obviously, you mentioned the women's Euros and what happened at Wembley that day was sensational. And I think for us to be able to bring that uh, to the widest possible audience, I think is you know, something that we are extremely pleased about. And, I've, and the investment that the BBC has made in women's sport over the years and, the, and, and seeing it develop, and particularly women's football, to see it as reach the point it's at, uh, is obviously hugely, uh, hugely gratifying, but there's clearly lots more we need to do. And I, I think one of the one of the big challenges, and I'm sure it's something we'll come on to talk about, is about how you manage to is the volume of sport, the amount that we've got now, and the you know the increase in prominence of women's sport, and what that means in the landscape, and and how we now are going to prioritise in the future and the things that we're, we're going to invest in. I think that's, that's you know, clearly really important. Absolutely, and, and certainly keeping that momentum going. We'll, we'll be covering all of those um, soon. Pete Andrews, Head of Sport at Channel 4. Um, just a little bit about you. I know you're a former multi-camera director and producer, um, successful recent broadcast, including the Paralympics. And in terms of great partnerships, we're going to be speaking about partnerships. Obviously, um, a great F1 partnership you've had with Sky, and you also uh, manage to get a last-minute deal to show Raducanu winning in New York um, and also simulcasted the Cricket World Cup final in 2019 and the F1 season decider. Inclusivity, diversity is so important and Channel 4 and the Paralympics provided such a great platform for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that the current challenges that Channel 4 faces, you know, the prospect of privatisation. I think, you know, for us, it's just really important that we keep making the point that the things that we do as part of our remit is really important. And, you know, talking about broadcasters and sport and sort of the place of PSBs, it's just really important to sort of, as Ben said, the things we're focusing on, you know, the growth of sport, the growth of those sports where maybe initially the money isn't there. You know, we're sort of here, you know, kind of saying, well, there is, there is a role for the PSBs and 
you know, so it's just very important that we talk about those things. Absolutely. Well, we'll get into it in a bit more detail, but Yath, I don't want to leave you out. Um, so Yath, Ganga Kumaran, Commercial Director of Sky Sports. Um, so many successful partnerships with some of these broadcasters here as well. Um, you've got one of the hottest properties in sport right now, F1, and are doing a fantastic job with it. And I know that you've just, um, you know, secured that for the long-term future as well. You've got so many sports. Um, just talk us through some of the things that are coming up and some of the things that you've been proud of. Yeah, not quite as inspirational as you guys in that video. But yeah, I think the key thing for us, as we've shown this year, is we remain the partner of choice for rights holders. And so interesting to hear from Conrad around streaming services looking to come into the market. But as we've shown with our F1 deal through to the end of the decade, our England cricket deal for another six years, our SPFL deal, which is the most important right in Scotland, again, through to the end of the decade and some other ones that we're going to announce soon, Right holders want to continue to be with Sky Sports. Um, and I think we have definitely matured in terms of how we consider the partnerships that we have, not just with rights holders, but also with free-to-air broadcasters. So as you mentioned, we've got a fantastic relationship with the BBC on WSL, which has helped to elevate that competition with Channel 4 on Formula One and a number of other areas. So the key thing for us going forward is to continue to be that partner of choice both with rights holders, but also with our other broadcast partners as well. Okay. We're just going to start talking about some of the challenges that, that you faced and, and how you've <laughs> overcome them, I suppose. So, Ben, just starting with you, what, what's been the, the biggest challenge? I'd love to think we've overcome them. Yeah. Uh, I think Conrad spelt it out really clearly about how many different challenges there are and the yeah. idea that... I don't think it's a case of being able to overcome them. You need to be able to respond. You need to be able to take a strategic view of them. But... Um, you know, things are moving so fast. And we've, you know, we've been talking about this for years, but um, the proliferation of choice, the, the availability of sport in all different places. But we know that, you know, sport, the sports industry as a whole has a, has a challenge around staying relevant. But I think yeah. looking particularly at broadcasters, I think it is that point around how do you remain relevant? How do you create an impact? in such a crowded landscape and I think that is that's the biggest challenge we face as, as a public service broadcaster mm. one that is celebrating its centenary it's like well, what does that mean in the future what is your position going to be like and you know we we focus a lot on that while at the same time keeping the show on the road and that that is yeah. in itself a Balancing huge challenge those two things yeah and tricky, uh, isn't it? comrade mentioned what was that that job title was it tokenomics director yeah. we don't have one of those no. um, <laughs> but you look at it and you think well you know we, we've we've gone through well we're in the middle actually of the, the busiest year that I think any of us can ever remember partly because hopefully touch wood this is the last of the covid yeah um you know uh, repercussions so we've got a rugby league world cup going on right now that should have been last year um we've we've obviously had the women's euros um, we had a Winter Olympics at the start of the year. We've got, um, we had the Commonwealth Games and we're doing the Rugby League World Cup and we're about to go into the FIFA Men's World Cup. That's all in one year. Our teams are flat out and frankly, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're looking forward to a bit of a break. But at the same time, we've got to be thinking, what comes next? How do you, how do you retain that relevance? What is your, what is your strategy for, to be genuinely digital first? And I think that's, that's what we're trying to 
um, face up to at a time yeah. like this. And some of those, I mean, some of those stats that Conrad was showing are quite damning, the Gen Z kind of engagement in sports. And, and like you say, you're trying to keep your head above water yeah. and just do what you keep doing, but you've got to think ahead. I mean, Peter, you found similar, similar kind of challenges. Yeah, definitely. I, I think relevance is, is the key word that Ben already said. You know, you've got to make sure that we stay relevant and particularly from a Channel 4 Sport perspective, make sure that we stay relevant. And I think the, the TV viewing as a whole is getting older and the Gen Z is, is consuming things in a very different way. So I think you have to get into that space to engage with those viewers and then actually then bringing those viewers to television seems like a really hard thing to do. And Probably to do that, you need a big event, big shared viewing. I know, you know, the, the big shows, you know, during the World Cup, you will get all those people back to the TVs to watch the big England games and England-Wales and all, all the big games. So I suppose that's where the big opportunity lies then when you do have those people to then engage them and try and move them forward and, and also make your content accessible to them, also make your content a lot of fun for them. And then the balancing act then is not to annoy all your other viewers who are there yeah. all the time. So as Ben says, loads and loads of challenges. I think specifically at Channel 4, it's staying relevant, you know, as a smaller broadcaster, being able to be in the, in the conversation, you know, is really important to us. Keeping our place in the conversation where we are is, is the big challenge. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the challenges are many, but I think it's not quite ready. I still think that that sort of big TV, big screen experience that we would all watch with a family sitting down together still is still the best uh, way to watch things at the moment. So I think as everything is developing, you know, it's down to us to, to keep advertising that as a good way to bring the family together, those big opportunities, the last appointment to view thing that, you know, that we have on our channels and make the most of that. And then, you know, try and convert those Gen Z when they come in a different period of their lives or they've got families or they're doing the same thing. So... Yes, I guess you don't have to worry so much about being part of the conversation. I mean, Sky are very much at the forefront there. And by the way, do jump in. You know, don't necessarily wait for a question if there's anything that you want to add to whatever the rest of the guests are saying. But what, what sort of challenges have you been facing, you know, in terms of engagement? I think the we're actually sort of sitting here from, thankfully, a relative position of strength in that, as everyone probably in this room knows, total TV viewing is declining and declining quite considerably. Um, but actually we've been growing not just our share, but actually the number of people who are watching the Sky Sports portfolio. And that's being driven um, by not just our core audience continuing to watch a lot and actually more uh, sport on Sky Sports. But we're now thankfully bringing in headroom audiences, particularly female fans. And with some of our sports, particularly NFL and Formula One, we've grown considerably those audiences. And a lot of that's been driven by under 35s. So our, whilst more generally the tv industry is, is you know is definitely facing some structural questions i think we're thankfully in doing okay but i would say that the key thing for all of us here and everyone working in the sports industry isn't just for broadcasters to continue innovating actually we need everyone across the value chain to do it rights holders need to be doing it because if they don't make their product compelling then it's going to be very difficult for us who are trying to tell that story to be able to convert people into actually watching it live. So I think the key challenges for us going forward are actually how can we grow rather than stay flat. And for us, we use a term internally called expansive fandom, and that's all about how can we evolve our coverage, maybe evolve our tone of voice, who do we use on screen, what do we do on social to tap into more casual sports fans, those being you know, particularly under 35 Gen Z, female sports fans, 
family members as well. That's that's sort of our challenge. How do we not just stay flat or grow slightly? How can we sort of push the boundaries further? Okay. I just yeah, come in. Yeah, really interesting. I think that point about uh, and Comrade mentioned it as well that. Um, at a time when linear, traditional linear TV is declining, we know that, it's pretty obvious, but sport does hold up. So within the BBC, I mean, I've been at the BBC a long time, and I don't think sport has ever been as important as it is now yeah. because it is one of those events, one of those genres that will bring the numbers back into those much-watched moments that Pete mentioned. And, and so, you know, you see those declines, but sport within the BBC is essentially is is in a stronger position relatively than where it had been before and the fact that it is also one of the big drivers for digital expansion I think is uh, is really important I'm keen to know what is that is it similar in Channel 4? Yeah very much so I think you know if you look at the amount of sport we've got at the moment I don't think that would have been the case five ten years yeah. ago because I think the um, value of sport is going up and up and up to every channel and to again also to the to the streamers to the OTTs as well they realize that you know it's really important to get that point of view moment so yeah for us it's hugely important I've got a few questions I might drop in now I'll, I'll come back to them at the end but um there's some interesting ones about live golf actually so yeah I think that would be a good one for you <laughs> right. um, but no there, there are going to be obviously competitors out there who are trying to do things a bit different differently and how much of a threat do, do they feel to you and what then the golf that you have um so my general view is competition is a good thing uh, because it means it forces the incumbents have to innovate and actually i think one of the positives of live golf coming in is you've seen the pga tour innovate more in terms of some of the tournaments they're putting together changing some of the rules they might have so i think and it's actually just breathes in a lot more um public interest in the sport, yeah. which I think is important given how old the average um, the average viewer is. So um, I think actually competition is good. I think the question for the PGA Tour, European Tour and Live Golf to work out is how can they work together to grow the sport more generally? Because um, I think there's a lot more interest now, it seems, in, in the sport. And what we found is even with Live Golf launching our golf audiences are actually going up for PGA Tour and European Tour events. And we had fantastic viewing figures for some of the majors as well. So personally, I think competition is good. I do think, though, entities should try and see how can they work together within this, that sport that they're, they're in to see how they can grow it, particularly if they're not necessarily the number one or number two sport in a market. You know, we know it's all about football here. It's all about NFL and basketball in America. So if you're not necessarily a tier A sports you're going to need to work harder to ensure that you're still in that conversation so that's that's the hope that we have for that what, what kind of competition are you facing pete what type of things are, are a threat to channel four right now um i suppose as we as we spoke before you know the digital spaces the otts you know um as a, as a channel at channel four we've always been there to champion you know the voice of maybe communities that don't get a voice on television and and so that means that Obviously, some of the programmes that we make are not there for viewers, they're there for remit. I think, obviously, the challenge of privatisation brackets mm -hmm. is, is an interesting thing for us of, to, see how we, to see how we cope with that. I think, you know, sports-wise, I think the challenges are very much more in the case of if more people get interested in sport, if sport's becoming more valuable, then I guess it becomes more expensive, you know, and then that becomes maybe, as one of the smaller players, quite difficult for us. But then it's all about innovation, so it's about partnerships. You know, the guys at Sky have been brilliant, you know, to us, and, and, we, and we work together in a partnership to look at something that works for both. 
you know, I'd like to think some of the Formula One audience is, is converting from maybe Channel 4 free to air and all those sort of things. <coughs> so I think it's all about looking at how we can provide value, but not just to the audience, but to partners, to sports broadcast, you know, to, to sports federations, you know, in the world of maybe growing sports and, and all those sorts of things. Yeah. So. Ben, just, um, just moving on to the topic of sort of streaming yeah. um, and the kind of competition that, that you're getting from there, I just wonder if there's enough room for, for everyone out there. There's, you know, a lot of streaming has become very popular lately. Yeah, and um, I, think it, I think it's actually really hard for the audience. And um, I would say that, wouldn't I? Because yeah. once upon a time, you used to know where you were when, you, when it was um, free to air. And then obviously Sky came in and, and massively disrupted the market 30 years ago and, and pay TV changed that. But then now... The, the, the way that rights are carved up, it is really hard, I think, for audiences to understand where things are. And I think that's where, and it's interesting, Pete's mentioning privatisation. I think an issue that's really important to us at the BBC is, is around regulation, and that would be around listed events and the fact that, um, you know, we do, it is enshrined in legislation that certain events need to be available free to wear for the widest possible audience. You saw that with the Women's Euros this year about why you need that, because we can create heroes and we can ensure that, you know, we had 17 million people watching that final, another 3 million watching on, on iPlayer. You, if you do that, you create heroes, you can inspire generations, you can increase participation. And I think, but, you, but to do that, there needs to be regulation and uh, the listed events as they stand currently only cover linear TV, they don't cover digital, and that is, a, that is a really important issue because we could be facing another digital divide here where um, if you're a younger audience and you are used to consuming uh, sport in the digital space, you may be shut out of that conversation because, of, uh, because that's the way that listed events is, uh, is at the moment. So that's something that we're very keen that the government looks at and and starts to rectify uh, in the years ahead. Mm. I think just to add to the fragmentation point, um, what we're finding, again, particularly with the non-top tier um, sports, is they've realised they need consolidation. They need to be on one home uh, for fans to be able to understand where you're going to be able to watch events within that sport. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing a little bit of consolidation with non-tier A sports realising maybe it's better to potentially take a bit less money, but to help grow interest and, and awareness of where the sport is going to one big partner for the, for the years ahead. So that, that, that's an interesting one, I think, for us to watch out for. Got an interesting question from the audience. Jerry Cox, give us away, Jerry, um, has, has asked about whether sort of your digital offerings end up um, cannibalizing your, your television offerings. I don't know who would like to answer that one. Uh, I'll go first. Yeah, yeah, you go. So I guess <laughs> for, for us, um, it, it sort of depends what you mean by digital offering. If you're talking about proposition or if it's simply just viewing habits, you know, we find so say with a typical Premier League match, let's say you know United Liverpool will get three and a half million uh, average audience on TV. You'll then get another fifteen percent, say, watching on Sky Go, which is our um, essentially sort of our iPlayer, as it were and they'll watch on, on devices there, and then there'll be another, let's say, half a million people watching in pubs. There's no real cannibalization there when it comes to viewing. I think the more interesting piece is actually proposition-wise. You know, we have um, Sky TV and Sky Sports that you get through satellite and now through Sky Glass, but we also have a separate brand called Now TV, 
which is a digital first proposition, I think the question that we've always been asking ourselves the last 10 years is, is there cannibalization with people dropping off from Sky TV to get now TV? Interestingly, the statistics suggest not, that apparently there's only a 2% overlap. Um, so thankfully, it looks like digital is actually helping to grow the overall uh, viewing experience. And for us, from a subscriber perspective, subscriber numbers. Well, Pete, how do you, so how do you sort of let it complement rather than can cannibalise? What do you do? Yeah, well, I was just going to pick up on that point first and say, actually, I think... I don't think it hits your live, but I think it maybe hits your highlights. Right. Possibly. I think the old, the old traditional highlights model. <clears throat> I think take Formula One out of it because I think that is a, a very unique sport with a fan base who are very keen on watching and this, that and the other. I think if you look at something like football or rugby, mm -hmm. I think, you know, if there's digital highlights on YouTube or digital highlights of the Champions League games or this sort of the other, I think um, people are used to then going and finding those. And I think that does hit a highlights program. So a traditional late night highlights program, I think, is a much more uh, isn't worth as much as it used to be because of the digital rights. I think if you're talking live, you know, certainly for us, you'd get a certain amount of people watching on Channel Four, and then a certain amount of people watching on All Four. And yes, there's a growth of the All Four as the Gen Z get more into that position, but you, the audience is staying quite similar. But it's just fragmenting. Probably the same with iPlayer. What was a 20 million is now a 17 and a three. Um, so digitally, um, that, that makes a big difference. But then the digital is a way to go into a space and also capture people who maybe wouldn't have watched traditionally as well. So I think the biggest effect is on highlights. But um, for the live, it can be complementary. That's interesting, actually. A question for you, Ben, I guess, would be, you know, since we've had the Premier League highlights clips, you know, 5.15, yeah. you get three minutes. Has that, how much of an impact has that had on match of the day? Yeah, um, I think it's it's... It's interesting. I think you can see that the match so match of the day numbers are down, but then that is reflective of mm. of what of a structural issue mm. in uh, in linear broadcasting. I think to draw a correlation between that and uh, and what you're doing brilliantly in the in in the, uh, the highlight space is something that we are very keen to understand a bit more because Pete's right. It does it does potentially change the value, um, but I think. It was an interesting question, the point around cannibalization, because from our point of view, and I mentioned it earlier on, we want to be digital first. We want as much of, of our audience to be viewing, frankly, on iPlayer. We want that to, you know, the, so 17 versus 3 million, we want it to be the majority watching on iPlayer. That is, that is going to be the future for us. So this is about, it's about a migration as, as more than it is a cannibalization. I think we need to get people viewing on digital. We need to accelerate that. Um, the highlights thing is, is really interesting because we, we've just done a deal um, with UEFA for the Champions League from 2024 when we're going to be uh, the, the free-to-air highlights. But our highlights proposition there is really going to be based around digital clips. Um, we are going to have, there will be a, a linear TV highlight show, but equally as important to us is the fact that we're going to be um, running clips through the day for, for, for viewers on, on mobile devices primarily, because that is, that is the way that, coming back to that point about relevance, that's how you can stay relevant with a sport like that. It's, mm. it's not always going to be about um, a, an appointment to view for a highlight show. So rather than seeing it as we want to somehow protect that 
that linear highlights proposition. It's like, well, we, we have to accept that the world is different now and we have to offer a different way to engage with audiences. I mean, Match of the Day has largely remained the same, sorry, for many years yeah. in its format. And I wonder if we'll ever see a, a time when you have to change it, you have to deliver more because people are getting the, the, the clips and, you know, during the day on digital. Well, I mean, it, it, let's be clear, Match of the Day does a brilliant job and still has a really big audience. Yeah. So um, that is not a proposition that as a linear programme that we need to really tinker with. But what we also need to do is make sure that we're providing a Premier League service mm -hmm. for audiences through the day. So, you know, we obviously we, we have um, five live commentaries that we're streaming online. That we, we have a text service that is drawing people in. We're providing a Premier League service that is about more than just watching TV at, at half past ten on a Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, if you look at the T20 World Cup that's on at the moment, that's an interesting evolution of a digital clips yeah. and live games. And what doesn't exist is a terrestrial sort of highlights program, mm. which I think four or five years ago probably would have done. So I think yeah, that's probably one evolution of, of how digital has changed things. Should we, should we talk about um, how you're using social media um, and various platforms now? There just seems to be more and more platforms adding to the list and... You know, TikTok has been very successful in the last couple of years for Reach. Yaf, what are you doing with social media? Yeah, we've, we've tried to be um, as proactive and sort of not first mover, but try and move as quickly as we can into uh, new platforms. So we've really, you know, years ago, we really embraced YouTube. I think Premier League Super yeah. Clips is the big um, example of that. And I think I got some stats yesterday saying that we had just under a billion views on our uh, YouTube channels last year. Which, will, which is going to go well over a billion this year. So that shows, I guess, the engagement that we're having there. We've actually been a bit slower going on to TikTok, but we, we really put some effort into it this year. I think we're now over one and a half million followers without doing too much there. But I think that's going to be a really interesting platform for not just short form videos, but potentially innovating and experimenting with longer form content like with the you know i'm sure there's going to be a world where we put a live event on tiktok to try and engage that younger more female audience yeah what, what are you doing for for tiktok and are you using the live elements i mean not yet i i'd say channel four's made a big investment in um the digital space with four studios which is now based in leeds and i think channel four identified there was a need to be you know very big in these spaces particularly engaging the younger audience so I don't think we're yet at a stage where we would we would have live on a platform like TikTok, but it's certainly something that we would talk about. I think it's certainly something that looks like it's going to happen in the future. Yeah, it's a good way to reach that generation that maybe isn't watching a lot of television at the moment. So I mean, you have so many challenges important. as as we spoke. You know, yeah. just trying to to <laughs> keep things running, and then there's all these extra things. I mean, Ben, you for social media? Yeah, I'm really exciting space for us. I think. We've, you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot in social media over the years. Our, our, our strategy had always been um, use social media in the classic funnel way. You're, you're drawing audiences in and you're bringing them back to your key properties. For us, that's BBC iPlayer, we've got BBC Sounds and we've got the BBC Sport website yeah. that bring audiences back to those places. But social, you know, we are, you know, we are totally at the behest of these algorithms of, of big tech. And it is, that is a big... That is, you know, coming back to the, the challenges and, you know, where the industry is at, that is one thing that us as broadcasters are having to deal with in a, in a proactive way. What is our relationship with big tech like? How do we make sure that, that we are the ones where our content is cutting through? For me, there's something here about, around formats as well. So 
for us, we the summer that we've just had for the Euros, um, our, digi our, our digital video engagement for the first time, more than half of it was was vertical video. So that is TikTok and um, Instagram Reels. That that's now where the audience they they, mm. they want they want their content to be in a vertical format, one that doesn't play to what traditionally as broadcasters we would provide with a kind of landscape view so you know there's a kind of production and creative challenge there but I think it's really exciting because you can you can to to Yas point about being a bit of a first mover I think if you're a broadcaster of scale like we are then like we all are then you can kind of you can get in there and you can you can bring the audience back to, uh, to, to your own services. Yeah, Pete, more on social media in a moment, but I just want to talk about some of the partnerships that you guys have had with one another, because I think that's a really important important part of this industry, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, and certainly for us, you know, I think it's it's really important to be able to be a partner for a lot of different companies. I think, you know, Sky have been really, really good to us. We've had some good partnerships going on with Formula One and obviously Super League as well. And, you know, going back to the cricket, yeah. you know, which started on 2019 when... I think, you know, it's credit to Sky that, that they would be in a position where they would share that for everybody. I think that shows a real strength, you know, and obviously we've got no qualms with putting really good content on Channel 4, even if it's not ours, you know, it's the same with sort of Amazon. I think, I think it was just, there's a couple of moments in time have gone by where, as it happened, and Ben talks about the legislation, just a couple of really big major events mm. have sort of slipped through the legislation gap and... I think it was very good of Sky, you know, and Amazon to to allow us to partner with them to then just close that gap and do a one-off deal that meant everyone could see them, I think, which was really important. And for us as a public service broadcaster, to be able to be part of that and provide that service to open it up is is brilliant. And then I think that they're sort of much more opportunistic things that sort of happened at the time. You know, who knows when the next 44-year, you know, duck is broken of a, somebody winning a, a Grand Slammer. You know, so I think, you know, for us, it's about finding uh, a position where we can provide value to a partner and a value to the audience. Yeah. You know, and, and, and as Channel 4, that's really important to us. I would say that I also feel that the relationships, you know, within the sports level, but also the top level at CEO level between mm. essentially what are, I know we're owned by an American business, but very British uh, business and obviously British broadcasters <laughs> is really strong. So we're, we're, we have very grown up, relationships you know when we talked about um the cricket world cup final we we're now in a position as a, as a business where we can say we're willing to share that and obviously mm -hmm. we had a great partnership with you there and with the wsl we know for the wsl to grow it needs to have free-to-air mm -hmm. coverage and the B, you know there's no one bigger than the bbc there and i think we've, we've shown that we can actually between us act as grown-ups and ensure that we're doing what's right for the wider sports industry and i think that's that's very healthy for for this industry. I, I couldn't agree more. I think we are in an entirely different place than we were, mm. you know, 10, 20 years ago. We, I think we all recognise that there are, there are bigger sharks in the sea than, than us, frankly, and we need, we need to work together um, for the benefit of the British uh, media ecosystem, but also yeah. sport as a whole, British sport, and make sure that it is, it is being showcased in the right way. And I think that does lead to some really creative partnerships, the kind of things that we wouldn't have done in the past. And, you know, we've, we've got a great partnership with Sky. You mentioned WSL, but also The 100 is, yeah. a, is a really good example of a, it's a, you know, a new competition in, in a very traditional sport. But that combination of um, all, the, all the matches being available on, on Sky, but a certain number 
given a free-to-air window, it, it can really help generate some, you know, some momentum around around a sport like that. So it's so important that we, as well as we, you know, we've got a competitive instinct. We're all yeah. we all want to uh, outdo each other, but we can also really work together for something that is bigger than that and that is genuinely about about what we can do for sport and on the hundred i just want to say because it felt quite experimental with the graphics and the, the different ways sort of how did you how did you come to that conclusion that you try something a little bit different differently so very you know it's very much being led by a rights holder that wanted to do something differently yeah. and i think you know that that's another part of, of partnerships isn't it is working with with different governing bodies and ones that want to innovate they clearly wanted to do that they saw the challenge around their sport and the fact that you know they needed to stay relevant and they needed to appeal to a younger audience. So them bringing us and Sky into the room at the same time and us working, the three of us together, to come up with a proposal that, that really would do things differently, I think that's, that's the key. Yeah, and can you see those kind of partnerships? Is it a key part of your strategy, these kind of par these partnerships going forward? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Pete. Yeah, well, I think it, it's 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 one of the things that we look at. There, there is something as well about having things exclusively. Yeah. But I think we've got to be realistic as Channel 4. You know, partnerships is, is obviously really, really important to us. And that would be with, with everybody, really. Um, and I think the sports rights holders, it's not a case anymore of where the money lives in one place and the exposure lives somewhere else. You know, we've seen how big Sky are for audiences. We've seen you know, all the things the BBC can do. So I think they as well are quite keen on sometimes a bit of a hybrid model. They've got digital somewhere, they've got some, some free-to-air exposure and they've got some stuff behind a paywall as well. So I think that sort of innovation everywhere, like you were saying, with the rights holders get used to it too and the hundreds are a really good example of that. Yeah. You know, I think we, you know, with some of the deals that I've just sort of uh, mentioned that we announced this year, we wanted to actually maintain a strong free-to-air package because we know it's good for those sports. So with the F1, um, extension it's the same strong package that Channel 4 have today with the England cricket extension it's the same strong package that the BBC have today so we, we again talking about how the businesses have matured and the partnerships have proved beneficial to the wider industry you know we're now ensuring in our contracts that we're allowing for there to be that partnership between broadcasters. Ben, I just want to talk about, you obviously have some very big tournaments where you get a lot of engagement. <coughs> I know that it's been a big challenge for the BBC and all the broadcasters to get sort of regular daily engagement, not just around the big events, if you like. How, how are you overcoming some of those challenges? Well, yeah, and I, th I think this is where you, it's certainly our perspective on this as, as a public service broadcaster will be. It's not always about rights, this, mm -hmm. because, you know, the rights market is incredibly... Um, heated. It's a, there's, there's a lot of money involved. We're funded by the license fee. We can't we can't get as much of the rights as we like. Clearly, so you have to do creative things to provide that um, what we would call a valued daily habit. We need the BBC needs to be something that people are turning to every day. So if we're not if we don't have the the video content for them, then what other ways can we draw people in? I think that that kind of just uh, putting our our sports news service front and centre, impartial, reliable sports news, but also what we're doing in the audio space, so live um, audio commentaries, but also podcasts, um, mm -hmm. and just bringing it all together in a genuinely personalised service. I think that's the, you know, the comrade talked a lot about data. That is, for us, key to this. We need to understand our audience. We need to work out how we can bring them back every day in using, you know, using our digital content. Yeah. Yes, how about you? 
in terms of in terms of using um, digital content but daily just yeah. not just around rights and not just around big tournaments Re really important to us i think you know with the bbc and sky sports are the two biggest um digital sports players in this market and i think what we have found is particularly with the gen z where they're more followers rather than watchers mm. it's really important to continue to go where they are um, because they're not necessarily going to come on skysports.com and they're not going to go on to 401 and watch Sky Sports main event. So we need to be there on Instagram every day outlining here's what's happening in the sports world, here's what's happening on Sky Sports. So I, would, I wouldn't say it's a digital first strategy, but we've definitely had digital central to how we engage with our consumers and, and actually just sports fans more generally for a long time. And I think that's only going to be strengthened going forward. I know we were hearing from Conrad earlier about, you know, various job titles and blockchains and everything, but what kind of, um, you know, how much are you putting to sort of, I suppose, some of the social media, um, you know, um, teams and that, that kind of thing? How much, how much are you doing in terms of strategy for social media looking forward? Uh, doing quite a lot. In fact, we're, yeah. I think we're actually got interviews for a new head of social media uh, within Sky Sports because we know where previously that's been within wider digital. We know it's just so big that we want to ensure we have dedicated resource around that. And Ben's mentioned podcasts and we know how, how yeah. that's growing. That's something we have almost done as a bit of a side project historically, but we're definitely going to be leaning into that um, going forward. I, I love the tokenomics director title. I think that's yeah. going to be, that is definitely going to be the future. We've, we've spent quite a bit of time at sort of Comcast level looking at what we do when it comes to Web3 and NFTs, et cetera. Dipped our toe a little bit with things like um, Saturday Night Live NFTs, but not really done anything in sport yet. I think that hopefully that will, that will change in the next couple of years. But for me, I feel that space is going to be much more fan engagement centric. And then in the years to come, you'll see the monetization. So the, the key for all of us, um, particularly where we're all getting stretched on budgets with cost of living crisis, et cetera, is how much are we willing to invest in that stuff now, knowing it's going to be years ahead before you start to see the benefits. Yeah. Pete, is there much investment in Channel 4 in those areas? Yeah, definitely. I'd say there's a whole department now which, you know, didn't exist two or three years ago. I think, you know, it's all about growing that area and then working out your best way of engagement. Data becomes hugely important because, you know, you, you try a few things, you see what works. You know, the more data collection you get, the more information you get about how Gen Z consume things and that can really inform what you do. So. I think that's really, really important. And then the metaverse, again, you know, it's, it's something we've spoken about. Um, we're probably not quite ready to dive in there just yet, but there's certainly opportunities there. And again, you think about the Paralympics, you think about accessibility, you know, actually the metaverse could provide quite a lot of accessibility. Yeah. So that's something for us to look at is, you know, is, is there a way, you know, and maybe it's more than one Paralympics away, but certainly we should look at it. Is there a way to make a very accessible experience? and use the extra technology to, to make progress in that area as well. I've got some questions coming through on um, Slido, so I'll just put these, uh, run these past you. We've only got a few more minutes left on this panel. Um, which of the OTT, this is anonymous, which of the OTT platforms do you view as the biggest potential threat in the future? Could any of the more general entertainment platforms break into sport? Anyone want to have a go at that one? Yeah. I think, uh, well, so it sort of depends what their business objectives are. If fundamentally they're trying to do something where they are looking to make a return on that investment in sport, then um, actually the business models aren't as strong as, say, the Sky one. Like, 
there actually hasn't been a business in the world that's been able to monetize sports fans per capita as well as Sky has. Where you have you have to get Sky TV, then you can pay on top for Sky Sports, and you get HD. Now people get broadband and they get mobile. You make money off advertising. We've obviously had Skybet in the past. We do stuff with wholesale businesses, pubs and clubs. You put that all together, that's billions of pounds a year that's being generated um, through sport. You sort of compare that to the streamer business model. You look at, say, um, DAZN, and essentially the monetization is pay us 10, 20 quid a month just for sports, and we'll make a bit of money through advertising. Not as many revenue streams as you get from Sky. So if you're looking at it from a pure business perspective, then... The current business models aren't actually as strong at monetizing sports as the Sky One is. But if you then say they're doing it for wider reasons, then clearly Amazon, Apple, Google, whoever can come in. You know, they're worth trillions of dollars. They can come in and spend whatever they want. I think what we've seen today, and I don't wish to speak for them, but certainly with the likes of Amazon, they've been very um, opportunistic but also rational in terms of what they spend you know you look at the Premier League spend is next to nothing you know 40 million quid when you consider the billions that are being paid in this market um, what they're what they've just put down for Champions League is not to buy all of Champions League out BT is still the majority um, partner there so I, I think I think they can be a threat a real threat if they want to be because they're just so wealthy some of them but it seems as if they're acting quite rationally. And, you know, with the likes of Apple, that's very much just dipping their toe in the water to see if they can make MLS work because it's not a huge amount of money for them in, in the grand scheme of things. So it could be a threat, but it depends what objective they've got. If it's purely mm. make a return on sports itself, then the, they need to amend the business model. If it's wider reasons, then they obviously have all the money in the world to do what they want. I've got a flurry of questions right in at the end, so I'm just going to combine a few and then we can try and get as many in as we can. So is there a place for second tier sports in your scheduled services or are you completely focused on top tier? Do you have a capacity for them? And another question, I've noticed some football fans seem disgusted online where their team's match isn't broadcast live anywhere. Have viewers become too greedy? Um, ben, do you want to um, that Well, I think on the first question, yeah. I think it's... It's a bit of a loaded one, isn't it, to describe anything as a second tier sport or, you know, how many tiers have we got on this, yeah. by the way? So it's, it's quite tricky. I think, I think for us, um, obviously, the, the really big events and the, the quadrennial ones, the you know, World Cups and Olympics yeah. are the ones that are really going to drive the, you know, the, the nation coming together. But there is absolutely a case for, um, for that next tier down, particularly, I think, if it's one that, that can bring in that... that, that as I said, daily engagement. If there's a there's a fan base that want to come back to you all the time, then then yeah, I think it's really important that we do showcase those those sports as well. Pete, the same question for you. Yeah, I think I'd add to that. that there's probably a public service remit as well in yeah. serving sports. You know that maybe the oxygen is actually really really important, and it and it and it, it makes a big difference to get that exposure. I think it's very old fashioned grandstand, but it did provide sponsorship opportunities for a lot of sports and I think although it, it was it was sort of got rid of a long time ago I do think that hurt a lot of sports you know because they didn't get the moment in the sun you sell the sponsorships go on tv it's more different the red buttons are much more difficult place to find things 
And I think, you know, maybe there's a world where, as part of a public service, there is more of second-tier sports on TV, possibly, in, in, you know, in between Olympics or whatever else there is there. He's, he's bringing back grandstands. Hey, <laughs> on your channel. <laughs> Excellent. Funny that. Yeah, quick question for you. I think this is a really interesting one, actually. Do you see social ever being a significant revenue driver, or will it continue being a promotional tool for the foreseeable future? That's to you and also Pete. It brings in a decent amount for us. Um, I think, I mean, it'd be like 1% though of our, um, well, less than 1% probably of our overall revenues. I think the the way in which it could become an interesting revenue driver for us is if you can create new business models around social. And that's why I think the whole tokenomics thing becomes really interesting. Do you look into in-game transactions, all that sort of stuff. So um, at the moment, very small and very much an engagement play for us to target particularly Gen Z and Gen Y audiences. Who knows in the future and particularly as augmented reality becomes a bigger thing, who knows what happens in the future. Pete? There's a sign there that says stop. Oh, <laughs> so what a shame. I was just going to do what I was told and agree you can with have, yeah. You can have that last question. We I can go over. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, could I just get squeeze this one in because I think this is really interesting and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. But it's about technology. How robust, I think this is a good question, how robust is your tech for mass sport online? Both Channel 4 and ITV players, sorry to say this, have recently crashed when hit mass audiences. Can you hold the stop England match. <laughs> <laughs> I should have finished on a more positive note, but, uh, but I do think it's an interesting question. Yeah, and, and look, it's one that is absolutely about as live as you could possibly get for us yeah. because we're heading into you know the, the, the biggest audience peaks we ever get yeah. for for World Cups. Um, now, having said that, the BBC as a whole has had, you know, enormous audiences recently with the with the death of the Queen and the mm. funeral, and um, you know, again, I'm touching wood. But we, the the work that was has been put in to to make sure that we can deliver at scale is one that we're as confident as we can be that we're going to be able to deliver enormous audiences for this. What's interesting for us is we're we're offering. Um, the World Cup in UHD. So that puts even more pressure on the bandwidth because you're talking about huge, uh, you know, loads of data that you're putting out there. Yeah. And, and that means that we have, to, we have to throttle that capacity really carefully. So we've got tech teams who will be able to look at the demand that's coming in and we'll be able to, to change the, uh, the, the quality of the service depending on, uh, on how many people are using it just to make sure that it holds up. Pete, do you want our final word? Um, not really. I mean, I think, um, yeah, it's fair. I, as with everything, you know, there is the odd technical thing can go wrong on anything at some point. You know, we've had those horrible moments of little blackouts at the moment of goals or adverts, all, all these kind of things that have happened over the years. And I think, you know, every now and then it does happen on, on TV as well as on online. But of course, you know, when you look at OTTs and, and also with us and all four, the last thing you want is the wheel of death. Yeah. you know on there just at the middle of a really important moment so yeah i think i think it's the most important thing little tech problems do happen i think it's one of those things it doesn't seem to happen very often but of course if it happens at the wrong time you're in big trouble people are rightly very annoyed about it so right yeah Great, thank you so much. We are out of time. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Hands together, everyone, for Yath Gunka Kamran, Ben Gallup, and Pete Andrews. Thanks, guys. Thank you.